evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, One after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, that is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him had he not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. There are few things in life more disturbing than betrayal. Few things more disturbing in this lifetime than the bitter betrayal of someone you love, someone of whom you've spent many hours invested, relational depth. And it's entertaining as long as it's confined to a big screen or a page-turning novel where we can be emotionally detached, right? It's a thing called drama that we all feel drawn in by. But you and I know that when you have invested deeply in life and love to then be betrayed, it can alter dare I say it, forever, your outlook on relationships and life as you knew it. What we just read moments ago brings us to realize that here we have a man named Judas, someone who spent three years, maybe three and a half years with Jesus, and only Christ was aware that he, his devotion his love, his commitment towards Jesus was not genuine. It was not a fruit of his faith. He was a disciple, yet still dead in his sins. All of the disciples had no idea, no idea that Judas would betray Jesus. And if I were to summarize the sermon this morning, I might say it this way. There is only one hope for those who betray Jesus Christ. And you're going to be surprised. Jesus Christ is that hope. Not so surprising and not so original. John 6, 39 and 40 says, This is the will of, the, of, the, of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of those whom he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We read that he was one of the twelve. And you and I stand in a position in life and in history where we automatically come to our Bibles with preconceived ideas and baggage and experience and we tend to pile that on top of the scriptures 
And I found myself just probably two weeks ago discussing with some students, uh, Big Branch Youth Ministry, our, our team ministry, that one of the primary reasons we come to find out that we are bored with the Bible. Yeah, I said it. The reason you are bored with the Bible is because far too often you're trying to find yourself instead of the Lord Jesus. And if you're on a mission to find yourself, you know you, you get bored with you. (laughs) You need to get outside of you. And here with Judas, we already have these preconceived ideas, right? Just like the Pharisees when they enter the room. I've said it before. It's almost like you cue the Jaws theme, right? And we know that this is not good. We know that Judas is, it has these hidden horns just barely protruding from his head. He's evil, Right? But that's not the story that we read. In fact, it's far more disturbing because as we read and as we see Judas and his interactions with the other disciples and with Jesus, he looks a lot like you and me. A lot like you and me. He was one of the 12. And there's this mistaken notion that those who are near the teachings and ministry of Jesus obviously, obviously know and love him, right? You and I know better. For, for many testimonies in the room even are, I was drugged to church, <laughs> or I have been in church, I, I began in the womb, I had no decision in the matter. But it wasn't until this time, this period in my life, that I began to, Love the church because Jesus loves the church of whom I belong to. The episode we read just prior to this in Matthew chapter 26, we, we see that all the disciples are criticizing along with Judas, and we find in other accounts that Judas, in fact, is kind of spearheading this criticism of a woman named Mary who anoints Jesus. And she uses expensive ointment. And the criticism is, what a waste. What a waste. This could be used to help the poor. This could go far further than you dumping this and spilling it out on Jesus. And the irony of that statement, that accusation coming from Judas as well as his companions is what a waste. You turn that back on Judas and you look at a man who lived and walked and talked and ministered with and ministered alongside Jesus and you say, what a waste when you see that he is to betray Jesus. So if we had a message title this morning, it would be Betrayed by Me. Jesus is betrayed by me. If you're not looking for yourself in the scripture, but you're open to what God would say to you, you can't help but see yourselves, if you're honest, in this man named Judas. What a tragedy 
We could almost ask, how? How could someone be so close to Jesus? How, having seen him with his own eyes for three years eating with him, to see him with his own eyes? How many of us are longing for that day when we get to lay hold of Jesus? Learning alongside the greatest teacher who has ever walked this earth. Witnessing his grace and kindness. Being on the receiving end of his grace and kindness. Christ knowing all well from the very beginning. He says, one of you is a devil. Get that. That Jesus, the disciples don't know any different that Judas would betray Jesus because Jesus doesn't treat Judas any different than the rest of the disciples. Knowing full well what will come to pass. He's a minister of miracles. Judas is a gospel preacher. It convinces me all the more that it is truly a miracle that dead Men, women, and children are given life in Jesus Christ. It's not merely a matter of exposure to the truth. It is not merely a matter of knowing the right stuff. It is not coming to church and being present in the room alone. But it is a supernatural thing and there is a helplessness that, must, that we, each of us, must come to realize that we really need only what Jesus Christ can give. We aren't okay. You aren't okay. I'm not okay. And it's okay to realize that those feelings that you've had, that you feel alone, here in the church, you are of all places in good company. And this ought to be the place where we are real about that. We can't just walk off the wages of sin is death. You can't just shake it off and get over it. And that the judgment that is due us all must be swallowed by God himself or by me. You cannot escape that reality. Maybe you've heard it said, what wasted talent. What wasted talent. You've heard it said of, of someone who has had it all, it seems, to then squander it for God knows what. Or maybe you've been one to say it. Squandered the life of Jesus Christ and his death for my sin for 30 pieces of silver. It is a it is a travesty. It is a offensive amount of money to hand over Jesus Christ. And I ought to say this in in life we make decisions, and you can look at someone's life and say, what a waste. And you don't know where they are, and you don't know where they'll go 
and you don't know what will become of them as we have the advantage here of seeing in Judas's life. But we need the boots of Christian men and women on the soil of every occupation. So when you are tempted to say, what a waste, know that people need Jesus at McDonald's. People need Jesus on the garbage route. People need Jesus in the classroom or in the hospital, at the shop, or on the job with hard hats. So before you begin to make that verdict and cast that judgment, what a waste. Of course, that could be said in this situation with Judas, but that is not always the case. We can't help but see that in verse 15, Jesus begs the question, Judas rather, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Notice, he doesn't set the price. He says, whatever you'll give me, I'll give, to, I'll give him over to you. What will you give me? I'm not even going to negotiate. He had already committed to carry out this deed. And I'll ask you and myself this morning, what is worth more than Jesus? It's a question that we must face every single day. But ultimately, as we come to hear that eternity is at stake, we must ask ourselves, what is worth more than Jesus? What do you find yourself obsessing over? What do you find yourself daydreaming about, anxious about, throwing money at, or spending ridiculous amounts of time towards. I've got my problems in life. Do you? Which one rises to the top? You've got one, don't you? If you took a moment, I probably don't even have to say, well, I'll give you 10 seconds to think about what that is. You know what it is already because you brought it with you this morning. You have a problem and it's risen to the top. And is that thing, that situation, that outcome, that probability, is it more value to you than Jesus? Or does Jesus own it? What does Judas, we might ask, fear love, and trust that would lead him to sell out Jesus? What do you fear, love, and trust that would lead you, that did lead you to sell out Jesus and to need his life, death, and resurrection? The good news that we are here to hear again this Sunday morning. Is it circumstantial problems in your life? Is it financial? Is it relational? Is it physical? Is it health-related? Is it the government? Is it COVID? Is that your number one problem? Was it the love of money for Judas? Did his purchase plans and his dreams imagined secure this life 
that if only, if only I could have or be here in this place in life and success and status and reputation, this desirable future of success or ease. Some have, desi- have, have come to the conclusion that Judas's his ultimate fulfillment, had he had his wish, would be political, political victory. Don't we live in a day and age where people can confuse that that is what we have valued most as Christian people? Political victory. Is that what we desire most? Is that what is of most value to you this morning? We're in a crazy spot in our culture. Amen. We are. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like setting that aside and burying my head. But it actually has been worse than this. Did you know that the United States of America is actually fairly young? It's, we're a young nation. And we have seen far worse in our world. And I dare you to take a look at the book of Acts and see what Christian people do when things start getting difficult and hard for the people of God. They persevere. They don't pout. They persevere. They multiply. They contend for the gospel in spite of having it easy. They keep the main thing the main thing, yet aren't capitulating to the culture or compromising. Praying, prioritizing the word of God, but keeping the main thing, the main thing. Not living under a a rock, but living under the weight of grace. And people know that that is the main thing when you realize the weight of grace changes everything. What can man take from us? What can man take? take from us. Our Savior, Sustainer, the Word of God hidden in our hearts, the Holy Spirit, and God's promises, are those things under attack? Sure, but are they at stake? No, they are not. For if they are, our God has been made in our image, not the other way around. We, like Judas, by sin nature, are appalled by a gospel, a good news that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection really is enough. And it's ultimate. These other things are important, and we can have our conversations about it. And as one pastor said just the other day, I loved it. He said, before you get so outraged, how about you consider what action you will take? Instead of being outraged, We can all be outraged. But what would you do? Those are two different things. And how outraged are you if you do nothing? Who are you kidding? We actually can't improve upon what Christ has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And we can't find anything outside of him that is more capable of fulfilling us and delivering us from our greatest problem. Because your greatest problem is not circumstantial, it is not financial, it is not physical. 
your greatest problem and mine is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins unless God does something. And he has. That's why we're here. That is why we're here. This gospel that anyone, and I really mean that, anyone realizes their condition as someone who has offended God in thought, in word, and in deed every single day needs help from the outside. You cannot whip up enough commitment or zeal or love or compassion to do what Christ accomplished in his three years of ministry. The Jesus of Scripture, who is at the same time the Son of Man and the Son of God, is the only qualified substitute for sinners. What hope is there for those who betray Jesus? Jesus is the only hope for those who betray Jesus. You can't add to his work, by the way, without subtracting from it. Won't you take that one home today and think about the implications of the fact that every time you try to help Jesus, you're somehow robbing him of what he alone is worthy of, the glory, the honor forevermore. I want a Jesus who will give me financial security. I want a Jesus who will fix my husband. I want a Jesus who will heal my disease. I want a Jesus to give me the woman of my dreams. I want a Jesus who will make them like me. I want a Jesus who will give me my dream home. Guess what? Those are all good things. And you know what? If you're convicted by those things, so am I. I'm not standing here trying to step on your toes until they bleed. I'm trying to level the field and realize that we are all guilty of these things and these feelings and these temptations. And all those things are good. Who doesn't want health? Who doesn't want financial security? Who doesn't want a stable home? But what happens is if those are the things by which you use Jesus to accomplish that end, you'll be disappointed when he doesn't deliver. You know what is said then? If he didn't do that thing, whatever that thing is, then you or I or others, we've heard it said, I tried Jesus and he didn't work for me. Have you ever heard that line of thinking? Better yet, have you ever thought that line of thinking? I have. Jesus didn't do what I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it. It's so common for us, as I just alluded to moments ago, to to attempt once again to make God in our own image to to see him as a cosmic butler that meets our needs at our beck and call instead of realizing that he has made us in his image. It was probably a month ago, there was a gentleman who, it was probably 6.30, 6.40, 
in the evening, and it was dark. It was getting dark, and there's someone in my driveway, and I don't know why they're there, and um, I'm getting ready to have a Zoom meeting with the students, and uh, I walk outside, um, kind of like, I don't know what I'm getting ready to get myself into. I should have brought my gun. I don't know, Um, and I walk up on uh, this gentleman, and I you know, I, I just, are you okay? You need anything? How can I help you? Um, and I realized just as soon as the words left my mouth that his windshield was shattered all the way across. And he had just hit a deer coming through as I talked to him for a moment and come to find out. And this gentleman, I, I may never meet him again. I hope I do. He begins to tell me that he just got this new job and now he's destroyed his car. Just a month or two before that, his fiancée took her own life. And he was just, he was devastated. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, I've got, I've got to get to BBYM. <laughs> I've got a Zoom meeting. That, moment, that, that flashed across my mind. And then I thought, you're so stupid. <laughs> this man, um, you have an opportunity here. And... You know, just like you, I kind of like fumbled, I, what, what should I say? Like, you know, what's the right way to go? You know, where's the on-road to saying the right thing at the right time? And uh, I said, I'll, I'll pray for you, brother. No, my time was short. You know what his response was? Most people will respect whether they believe in your Jesus or not. Respect your desire to pray for them. But you know what he said? He said, you can fling things to the sky all you want, buddy. It's not going to do a thing for me. And I just, my heart sank. And then he began to tell me how when he was in grade school, he brought his Bible every single day, and he was so bold to tell people about Jesus. But long story short, look at life now. It didn't work for me. I was like, man, I don't know what to say. And I told him, buddy, God can handle your cussing and spitting and questioning him. He's big enough to handle that. And you need to be real with him because that's part of the process. And I meant what I said, I will pray for you. And we did. I gathered the teenagers together and I told them, this is exactly what just happened. And I want us to pray for this young, this young man. He was a little older than me. And I hope I see him in heaven. And I hope that the Holy Spirit comforts him and many others just like him that we have encountered. That you know what? I can't solve his problems. You can't either. And so I've got to trust that the Lord really can do the miraculous And we can rest, as well as that gentleman, far better when the Jesus we want is the one who has all the rights to define what is good for us. And in the moment, I don't want to insult you to say, just get over it. Just like I wouldn't dare say that to that young man. Get over it, man. Snap out of it. You you know this world's messed up. You know that too, don't you? This world is messed up. It, It is broken. Therefore, that's why these things happen. But the body of Jesus was broken. That this is not the forever story.
And there is hope in his name, even for those who would betray him. To be stripped of our confidence of whatever this or that may be in fact what is good for us to accomplish something down the road. Or even for now in the life of someone that is watching you from afar. You and I know that there are eyes on us, right? You haven't forgotten that. And if it's Christ that you want those those watching eyes to see, not your comfort or your got-it-togetherness, can you not expect conflict, loss, grief, tears, and occasions for brutal honesty? What is wrong with the people of God who can't be brutally honest about the mess that is life? What is wrong? There is something amiss. Steve Brown says, Every time the unsaved buries a child, a Christian buries a child. Every time the sinner loses his job, a Christian loses his job. That we might go through it together and they see us look to Jesus in the midst of it. Have you not seen that that is true? Is it I, all of them, would I betray Jesus? The Greek reads more like, surely not I, we see in verse 22. The answer is, of course, it's Judas. Yet we'll see, as you just continue to read, that every one of them will betray Jesus. Each one of them, each one of you will betray, have betrayed your God. And Peter, he's in denial that he could deny. Just like you might be. There is no way. Let me tell you, if you have anything that you can complete the sentence, there is no way that I could ever blank. Think again. Think again. I had a phone call with a pastor this, this past week, and he said, Michael, we almost just want to read off the, the most heinous, disgusting, vile sins to our people in our churches and say, you don't think you can do that? You think you're above that? Get with the po- program, the right circumstances. When you're feeling down and low and at the end of your resources, you can do that. It is in your heart. Your heart, you share the same human heart as those who commit the things that you say, I don't, I cannot comprehend. And I'm with you. I don't understand how people can do blank until I have some of the thoughts that I have and I think the things that I do. Are we not in touch? Is it, are we not the most humble people of all? Are we shocked by sinners doing what sinners do? In no way do I mean that sin is so pervasive that it just shrug your shoulders at it, it's no big deal, quite the contrary. But we haven't cracked a code and begun to live these morally high ground and decency lives. It's, it's surprising, or is it surprising, that those who tend to demand compliance to commands and standards that aren't even in the Scriptures on the front page headlines for sex scandals and hidden sins, finding them out, hypocrisy on blast. They can't live to their own standards, and yet they expect others to do so. 
Yes, you and I have and will betray Jesus in some form or fashion. But it doesn't have to be said of you. Woe. It would be better had you not been born. It doesn't have to be said of you. It'd be better if you didn't live at all. Have you thought of your sin that way? I can't help but think of that song that hits me personally every time. It's called Come Thou Fount. And the words are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is that your experience? Have you ever thought of your sin in that way? That every sin that you commit without exception is an abandonment of God. It is a betrayal. Every single sin is a failure to realize God's love is upon us and in turn a failure to love God and those around us. If you took the Ten Commandments and asked God, what's the most important thing? Loving God or loving people? Jesus' answer to that question would be yes. It would be yes. And yet we've made Christianity Christianity be something else than love of God and love of people. And all of that coming from realizing that we are first loved when we don't deserve to be loved. If you're in the room and you feel unlovable, realize that I too am with you. And yet, in your unlovable, Christ has set his affection on you. And he has come and he has done what you will never do. And don't try to cheapen it by adding to it and thus taking from it. If you, if you belong to Jesus today, there is nowhere that you can run to get away from him. There is nowhere that you can go. If you have laid hold of his forgiveness, how do you do so? By faith, by trust. Confess your sin again, just like you did when you first met. I'm going I'm to commit to doing the same thing for the rest of my life. And it does seem odd to us that growth in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ looks far more like a readiness and a willingness to confess the still remaining sin in our lives instead of getting over it and saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. There's no way that I could do that. I, I used to, but never again. I'll never know what that's like. And then people don't even know how to relate to you and you don't know how to relate to them because it's like, he's untouchable. That pastor lives in another world. He doesn't, he doesn't live in the world that I live in where life is hard and where I'm tempted at every corner and life is difficult and tragedies pervade and I doubt and I question and I'm scared. Are you untouchable, Christian? Are you unrelatable? We complicate life. We say we need this, we need that, but you know what we really need? We need Jesus Christ, God's word, and God's people. He says, woe to those 
who betray the Lord Jesus. If we all have, and we all will, then what hope is there? Turn your gaze off your sin into your Savior. That's your hope this morning. See to it again that those things have been put to death, paid for in full. Forgiveness for those things done by you and see now that you have been risen to new life in union with God who is seated right now victorious and you're with him. And yet you still live this life because God is not finished with you. Do this today if you have betrayed your God once more. Don't delay. Bring it to him. Don't give space and time. I know you because I know me. I've got to give space and time between my sin as if I can somehow atone for it in that space and time before I can come to Jesus. I've got to get myself a little squeaky clean before I can call him Father again. How ludicrous, how ridiculous the prayer that Jesus prays. Our Father, he begins modeling our prayer. You're not in the courtroom. You're in the family room if you trust Jesus Christ. And one last thing. God is in control, does not excuse our sin. You know what I mean? God is in control. One might be tempted to say, and if you're reading Scripture and you're following along, you will be tempted to say, poor Judas. He only did what he was destined to do. Wrong. You read Acts in chapter 1, verse 16, when... It said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And in John 13, 27, we see that Satan entered Judas. You want to know what? He opened the door. He did have a decision, as do you. Judas doesn't stand before God at judgment and say, you made me do it, just as you can't. You can't, and I get it. It'll blow fuses in your home when you start to get your mind wrapped around how God can be in control and how I can make these decisions. And if someone tells you they've got it fully figured out, don't trust that guy. Just so you know, don't trust that guy. Um, We can look as far back as the first book in our Bibles. There's a story, and you don't have time for it. But I can tell you this much. You do, if you want to take the time for it. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, Genesis chapter 50. And you know what he says? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And yet what brings the greatest clarity to the fact that God is in control and yet you are absolutely non-negotiable, responsible for your decisions is the clarity of the cross. The clarity of the cross. This account of Joseph is an echo of what has been fulfilled 
And just as we'll see as we lead into Easter, Jesus betrayed in the hands of sinful men and women, just like you and I. And it was the plan of God that he might accomplish good. One man said it this way, God uses the evil desires of men to to fulfill the ultimate good. Let me say that again. God makes good use of the evil desires of men. Have you seen that to be true? Do you know, brothers and sisters, that right now, when people are doing evil against you, God at the same time is doing good? Do you know the most despicable things that have happened to you and in your life? While it was meant for evil, God can simultaneously work it towards good. Romans 8.28 means nothing, makes no sense to anyone if this is not true. That if God cannot be simultaneously working good in the midst of evil and heartbreak and tears shed and betrayal. It's seen at the cross. There's no clearer picture that you and I put him on the cross. If he were here today, we'd do the very same thing. And yet, by the cross, your wounds are healed. By the cross, you are washed whiter than snow. Would you stand with me?